We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There's a scourge facing our game and it must be eradicated. In fact, I would argue this scourge is facing all of society. And that is a scourge of holding people accountable for doing their job poorly. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. This has got to stop. This has got to stop. Holding people accountable for not doing their job well. Complaining. Dare I say asking for change. When people who do important jobs do them poorly. This, my friends, is not acceptable. We must live in the society we have built, filled with rank incompetence, and we must like it and not complain about it. Or, or here's an idea, change it, just, just change it, just make a change, get better, do better, do better at your jobs. And of course, I am speaking of the PGMOL, who is, and I think we can all agree, not fit for purpose. Today, we will talk about football. We will talk about the contest at St. James's Park and how Arsenal won the contest without creating enough. And in fact, I want to break this down into really three components today that I think we want to try to address. Component one is the refereeing angle, the reaction to it, the reaction both by our club and by those outside of our club. That is certainly part one. Part two, the contest at St. James's Park, which I think we won which I think we can be proud of how we showed up in that contest and how we matched them and how we played our football that we preach, our philosophy. And then phase three, I think, is really the question of our attack not firing and how that continues to be an issue. And and certainly there is understandable frustration on the part of some people, I think, at our inability to create enough to win this game. Let's remember, were it not for all the terrible calls, we may have won this game, but also really on balance, what we probably deserved was a nil-nil, and there are some people that I understand are frustrated by that. If what you want is the outrage, if you want the full-throated, full-blooded, needle-in-the-arm outrage, hook it to my veins, the instant reaction is there for you, today I think we're going to take a little bit of a different approach in that we probably won't go through the incidents quite as much, but we'll go through the reaction because the reaction is now what's sort of on the agenda as we are getting past the initial outrage. So 
bear with us as we try to make sense of this together. Um, I have listened to the Arscast, so I have some ideas of what to say and how to manage the podcast, but I only got halfway through it because it's early in the morning my time. By the way, love you for being here. You know what? We'll get through this together, everybody. It's fine. Liverpool went and dropped points at Luton. So really anything is possible. And I felt for Luton. I thought, I thought, I thought they might get it done. Um, but alas, no, they, they didn't. But still an incredible draw. Okay, here with me now is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stillmanator. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello, indeed. Okay, guys, so we're going to stipulate to a few things. I just want to get your agreement if indeed you agree with the following. Um, we, I think we all feel on the, on the Kai Havertz incident that if they gave it as red, we could accept it. It's probably yellow slash orange because he catches him with the trailing leg. There is video where you can just about see like a stud of his lead foot catch like the front of the sock of Longstaff. I think if it's given red, we're fine with it. But yellow is probably just about right. Um, I have that as one to just set aside. Tim, any disagreement there? Stipulate to that? Cosine. Clive, you feel good about that interpretation there? Yeah, I think, let's just say that Havertz was trying to block the ball down the line. And that's why he was going in so ferocious. He wasn't going in to tackle the player. If anything, he got his line slightly wrong that he left a part of his body that could touch him. So yeah, a little bit close to the line. And if he got sent off, I couldn't argue against it because I've seen it before. But it was fine for me being the yellow. Yep, I have it that way too. Okay, then we'll talk about the... Um, the, what I think is actually the principal incident of the game, the complete head loss by Bruno running around trying to hurt people. In addition to the ones we're going to talk about, he put two hands in the back, a hand to the face. He was all over the place. It's funny when he got his yellow card in the second half, I was like, oh, he's off. Having not realized that he had not actually received a yellow card at any point prior to that. But look, he tries to two foot someone. I'm not sure who it is actually, now that I think about it. And then he misses. So he runs any elbow, uh, forearms, critically, forearms, Jorginho in the head. What Sky Sports said is it's not an elbow, so it cannot be a red card. To me, this is one of those textbook red card things. And, you know, it's kind of like this. We've seen players sent off for, like, putting their hands to someone's throat. In fact, Rodri missed our game because of that. And just to be clear, I don't think that's violent conduct, but that, that's just the unwritten rule, right? If your hands go to the throat, you're off. Here's the definition per the Premier League on violent conduct. Violent conduct is when a player uses or attempts to use excessive force or brutality against an opponent when not challenging for the ball or against a teammate, team official, match official, spectator, or any other person, regardless of whether contact is made. Important. In addition, a player who, when not challenging for the ball, deliberately strikes an opponent or any other person on the head or face with the hand or arm is guilty of violent conduct unless the force used was negligible. The argument that it was not an elbow does not hold here. He has struck an opponent in the head with an arm. Tim, for me, this is the singularly bad call of the game because it is a misapplication of the laws. I am somewhat convinced that if the Havertz incident hadn't happened, Bruno would go. But I do mm -hmm. think sometimes in these situations, there's a, well, we let, you know, we let the Kai Havertz thing go. If we send him off here, our mate on the pitch is going to be under a lot of scrutiny. He's going to face a lot of moaning Newcastle fans. 
They make it a cauldron. They put a lot of pressure on. I think VAR felt bad for their mate Stuart Atwell, let him off the hook. Agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I just want to do one little coda on this as well because mm-hmm. I said on the VA uh, on the instant reaction the VAR should be sacked for this. Let me let me be a bit clearer with my reasoning. I spoke to a referee about ten years ago and he asked me a very revealing question. Not not a Premier League referee, but someone who referees. And he said, "What do you think is the first responsibility of the match official?" And I said, "To make sure the lo- the laws are upheld." And he said, "No, the first responsibility of the match official is to ensure the safety of everyone." playing in the game and you think about that on the most basic level who decides if the game is playable who decides if the pitch is playable who decides if the game is called off on safety grounds the referee that is their first responsibility is the safety of everyone involved that is what the violent conduct law is about it is not just about it is about punishment it's not just about punishing Jorginho Bruno had lost his head to the point Mm. that he was smacking people on the back of the head that you take him off to punish him, but you also take him off because he's a danger to everyone on the pitch. And he continued to prove that by continuing to smash into people. He could very easily have injured and hurt someone. That's why the VAR should be sacked because he, um, they, sorry, the VARs did not ensure the safety of the participants in the match. And it's an unacceptable level of incompetence and error. And I'm sorry, however pressured or difficult your job there are some mistakes that are too big and this one's too big yeah it's just you you can't misapply the the laws that way for reasons that are totally opaque clive you see it the same way yeah on the ir said these are simple refereeing decisions right every referee i promise you speak to anyone when you see a player running around out of control in a retaliatory fashion it's an easy one, mate. Honestly, one of the unwritten rules in football, we all know this, for, for guys who played five-a-side with their mates in plimpsoles or in Sunday morning or in non-league, no matter where you play, these are the rules of the game that we all know. And when you see it not applied at the very top level, then you've got to ask yourself a question, what is going on? Yeah, and and it... It, it, it's crazy to me that in the Sky Sports studio, they're saying, well, it's not an elbow. That's just, there's nothing in the laws about that. It's not an elbow. You know what it reminds me of? The He didn't mean it. You know what I mean? He didn't mean it. He's not that type of player. All the stuff we used to hear back in the Arsene Wenger days, like, again, not in the laws. Um, so then there's the goal. Now, if Bruno had been sent off, we have a totally different game. If Kai and Bruno had been sent off, I mean, anything you want to do, but we do get to that point to where that is a key moment. I don't want to take the focus off the fact that Arsenal do several things wrong. Ben White is at fault for the goal, and um, uh, David Raya is clearly at fault for the goal, and we will come on to individual performances. But the critical issues with, with VAR on this, I, I look at it this way, and again, we'll go through this, all of us. We don't know if the ball is out of play. The people who are saying they do know the ball is out of play, I do want to say I think you're wrong. I don't think you can know that from the angles that we have. As we know, by all of the totally normal, not unhinged people putting toilet paper on their floor and shooting videos of balls from different angles. Football does weird things to us. Okay, as far as the offside, I think anybody with eyes can tell it's offside. But they can't draw the lines, so they can't rule it. My problem with that is, look, I watched a little NFL football yesterday. There might be an NFL camera inside of me right now. I'm not even, they have so many cameras, they might have one inside of me for an angle right now, and I might not even know it. They have cameras in 
the pylons at the end zone. The Premier League has too much money and too much riding on the games to ever come away with the argument, we don't have a camera angle for if a ball is out, we don't have a camera angle for offside. And then there's the push on the back for Gabriel. And this is where I feel terrible for Gabriel. Because he's in the position, he's going to make the play. And and it's funny that I reference NFL because you have the same thing in almost every sport, in NBA and NFL, in the Premier League. Bent arm in the back, an arm bar, you get away with it. The minute the arm extends, that's the thing referees seem to use to determine if there's a foul. It is two arms, he pushes, it may also be a handball. And my attitude with VAR there is, look, we may have a ball that's out, we may have an offside, we probably have a foul. You have to at some point dot it up and say, this, this goal's got everything wrong with it. Tim, do you essentially concur or not that the first two issues cannot be ruled out because they don't have the angle, but it is unacceptable not to have it. The third is simply a push and it's the kind that's always given. Yeah. Cosign two hands in the back. Gabriel's about to head it. Like what to your point, And you phrased it on the instant reaction this way. Why do you think Gabriel doesn't win the header? He's got the flight of the ball perfectly. He's stooped. He's in position. Why doesn't he win the header? And then Joe Ellington literally handballs it Mm. because he's shoving the player and his arms are out, which I would um, argue constitutes an unnatural position. But apparently we're told it can't because his arms, the back of Gabriel's neck is is not an unnatural position. But yeah, that that's definitely the the part that's most egregious. I, I don't know whether the ball was over the line. I, don't, I think it's probably offside, but I kind of accept that explanation. But the foul and... I mean, the foul and the handball go in one because it's a handball because it's a foul. So just take your pick, lads. And and just so we're clear on this, okay? According to FB Ref, Newcastle achieved 1.0 expected goals in this game. 1.0. This is FB Ref data. 0.94 of it is on this goal, meaning that the top scoring attack in the league at home ran around trying to hurt people and sit deep and defend and do nothing and produced 0.06 expected goals when an hour without a shot. So if you're looking at underlying metrics, please be aware that's how much contributes to the to what they created, which is the sum total of F all. Uh, Clive, do you have the same issue with the technology not being available to properly adjudicate that, adjudicate that moment? And then, of course, the push in the back. <laughs> <laughs> this is this podcast is not good for my mental health. I tell you, I just was getting over this a <laughs> little bit. Um, I went to watch um, Slough versus Grimsby yesterday in the first round of the FA Cup, and talking to people, non-league players, players that played a lot of a lot of games, and we would talk about the foul. And I said to him, "Do you remember how many times that someone's about to step on your toes? You put two hands out before you go to jump for a ball, and you haven't really touched him." But two hands come out on someone's back and you always give a free kick away. And everyone gets frustrated. you got to challenge better for the ball. It's like everyone knows this. Everyone knows this. And the way this manifested itself, Gabriel knew he was he was jumping against somebody that had a little bit of a run on him. So he stoops down to get a jump. You know, so he's got his position, he stoops down to get a jump, and he's not able to ex- to extend because he's pushed downwards. And I hear people saying things like, he's a centre-half, he needs to be stronger. And I'm thinking, mate, I need to get out of the house. I need to get out of the house. Because that's the same Gabriel I got I got seen get sent off against Man City a couple of years ago on New Year's Day, on New Year's. I need to get out of the house. I need to go for a walk. 
because the game I'm watching, I no longer know what I'm going to watch and how people are going to feel about contact. And the moment you start to present a sport to people when they're not sure what they're watching, woe betide you, mate. Woe betide you. They'll find something else to watch. They will. They will find something else to watch. You cannot go from one week where Rodri falls on the floor, spinning around like a spinning top, and gets the first goal penalty in a Manchester derby. A huge game where they stop the play two minutes down the road to give that penalty to the best team in the world. I cannot believe that level of contact is deemed, well, he touched him, he's got to watch himself, blah, blah, blah. And two weeks later, or a week or so later, that happens on the goal line. It's like, he needs to be stronger, him. He needs to be stronger. And at that moment then, I realise I need a disconnect. I need a disconnect from the gaslighting of what's happening to us. Is that the right phrase? I feel we Mm -hmm. are being, we are, we are being set up. We are being set up by this, by this media and what's happening. And the way the game is presented to us, particularly in England, for the US listeners, you may not get what the Sky TV that we get. But we have this Northwestern bias thrown at us every single day. Every single moment. And Tim said something about a month ago on this podcast, and I hope you can say it again, Tim, about the fact that we have to pay for this. I'm paraphrasing. We have to pay for this. We have to pay for it. We have to pay for a YouTube channel, basically. A YouTube channel trying to wind us up. If I want to be wound up, I've got to listen to expressions. He's really funny. Spurs guy, really funny. I know what he's doing. He's entertaining. I just go, if I want to be wound up, I listen to him. I don't expect the subscription I pay for to be doing that. I expect them to be looking after the game, to be promoting the game in a positive way, looking at ways to improve it, not creating content to laugh at Arsenal people so we become part of that engagement model. And that's what I realised. We have to disconnect from these people because I no longer want to watch football through the eyes of Manchester United and Liverpool people who we are the mortal enemy throughout their entire careers. So why would we expect anything else but this? There needs to be a rebound because a lot of people not happy with the way the game is being presented to them. And I include myself in that if that's not clear. First of all, if you want to send me a check, I'll come around your house every once in a while and wind you up. <clears throat> you can pay me to do it. Okay? I'm more than happy to do it. Second of all, as usual, that's well said. Tim, I'll just turn it over to you if there's anything you want to add. But I think we can we can wrap up on the decisions themselves and shift to the reaction. It is what's getting the headlines and what I think we need to do next is talk about how our club reacted and how people have reacted to that. But any final thoughts on that about the the decisions? Uh, it is... It is just simply unacceptable for a game to have this much money in it and still be unable to to get things right for technical reasons. That feels wrong to me. Yeah, definitely. And I think with Arteta's um, post-match reaction as well, I, I know and I completely understand people are going to say he's a sore loser, he's a whinger. That, that, I, I, I understand that reaction. I do because that's probably what I think yeah. of another manager doing it. And particularly if you're not engaged with everything that manager says, but we kind of are. And this is unusual for Arteta, right? He doesn't usually do that. He doesn't like use, in fact, usually he might be a bit passag about, about a referee or something, but generally speaking, he doesn't blame an entire outcome 
on officiating or usually he kind of hand waves it or at the absolute worst you know that time you said if I say what I think I'll be suspended for six months and that's a way of saying what you want to say without saying it um you know um like that friends episode about giving the finger without giving the finger (laughs) (laughs) kind of thing but this was unusual this was a real change in tack for Arteta to do that and it's also I believe cumulative as well I I think this wasn't just about this game I think this is a little bit about Kovacic as well in a massive game thankfully that was a decision that didn't cost us but that was an unacceptable decision that was given an unacceptable logic um yep Clive's just put in the chat Brentford not drawing the lines and all of that like uh, this has clearly been eating at him (laughs) a little bit but this was this was one where it's like this literally cost us the result and and it did and it did. And yeah, I guess we'll go on to the reaction. But all of these people now somehow pretending and prevaricating. And mm, actually, I think, I mean, they think like, and people who think it makes them look smart to do that and they don't, they just look like idiots because they're just t- trying to pretend something didn't happen. But we'll, we'll go on to that, I'm sure. By the way, I mean, it's it, it feels like every big game. I mean, the Chelsea game, there's a penalty that's never a penalty, right? The handball penalty. But I don't need to just point to Arsenal calls that are wrong. There's what happened in the Liverpool-Spurs game, obviously. One of the clearest examples of just rank incompetence. Newcastle. Anybody remember what happened in Newcastle last weekend? Penalty well, that's never... Yeah, Gary O'Neill, he made comments. This Obviously, he's not as big a name and Wolves aren't as big a draw as Mikel Arteta. And if you saw his comments, because they've been done by bad penalties two weekends in a row, and they got done by one in the last minute. And Gary O'Neill said, I went down to the referee's room and looked at the incident. He still insisted it was a penalty. And he just said, I don't know what to do with that. And mm-hmm. so Gary O'Neill's in a very similar headspace at the moment. And, and by the way, we can keep going. The Wolves game at the start of the season against Manchester United. You know, we, we like to think there's a conspiracy against us. Honestly, there's a lot of clubs that could think there were conspiracies against them at this point. It's not a conspiracy if it's incompetence. And I, I'm sorry, but Newcastle 1-0 against Brentford, dodgy penalty. 2-2 against Wolves, dodgy penalty, right? They get the red card against Liverpool. They get this series of decisions against us and you start looking at where referees are refereeing games midweek and while I really really do everything in my power to avoid conspiratorial thinking because I think it's unhealthy and our brains are wired for it whether it exists or not the PGMOL is allowing this to become an issue and this is probably my biggest issue with club statements don't don't put a statement out for me go fucking talk to them go change it Clive they got to change it because the interesting thing that VAR has done, VAR's done something really interesting. It has shined a light on the, the old boys network that this is. Because all VAR does, instead of trying to get decisions right, is back their mates and keep them from looking bad under the spotlight. And I think that's, a, that's an unfortunate reality, but that's what VAR has done. It has really lifted the lid on what this is, which is an old boys club, and a bunch of mates just patting each other on the back. Yeah. <clears throat> The add-on to what I said earlier, we have a we have a, a subset of unelected officials presiding over the game, and those unelected officials are the pundits that we used to think were serious people, but they're not serious people. They have got um, they've got vested interests in the in the model, right, in the programs, and in creating engagement and, and making money for their employers. And I'm afraid we fall into that trap. 
number one. We are number one. Probably us are Manchester United, probably. Because we are quite strong on the airwaves, shall we say. You know, and so we are right there, two to one favourite. But Manchester United got enough people in the media. So guess what? We are right there. We are right there. And everyone listened to what Mikel Arteta said at the weekend. And deep down, they all agree with it. But he can't be the one to say it. If it's cuddly Jürgen, if it's somebody, if it's Fergie, somebody else that people that people like, then they will listen to it. But it's almost like he can't be the one to say it. And I sent so to Andrew earlier on, I just I'm not sure if he put it in his questions or not. But it makes me feel uncomfortable with Arsenal being a victim because we not we don't normally do that. We normally stand firm, stiff upper lip, bit of class, that's the way we roll. But there comes a time, and that time is now, <laughs> there comes a time when you have to say, enough already. Enough. And my worry is, because it's Arteta and he does drive opinion, even amongst our own fan base, but it's certainly externally, because of his seriousness, his absolute thirst to be better and to try to win, they almost mock him for being so passionate, mm. for being so invested. And for now coming out and say this, I'm afraid it could have a, I haven't seen everything, I'm trying to disconnect, it could have a negative impact on us. But maybe on the flip side to that coin, before Tim's already thinking it, he put his hand to his head. Maybe it's back to the old, well, they took two points of us, Tim. It's time to say, you know what? Sod the rest of the world. You can stick your two points where they want them to be. It's time to internalize and to really create a siege mentality inside the club. Because what really worries me, those lovely things we had at the end of last year and into the start of this year, I don't want to see division amongst us as Arsenal people, I want to see that maintained, that unity maintained. And maybe this will unify all of us uh, against the people that are digging us from the outside. You, you know what this reminds me of, guys? And this is this is where I get really frustrated. The punditocracy seems more concerned with the impoliteness of Mikel's reaction than the degradation of the integrity of the game. They've got their priorities completely off. And it may not be a coincidence where Howard Webb sits every weekend on TV next to Michael Owen, who suddenly has strong opinions about Mikel Arteta's reaction, or Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher, who, by the way, while I think at times can be excellent uh, analysts of the game, have vested interests as well. You know what it reminds me of? And Tim and Clive, you'll remember this. Maybe not everyone listening. Once upon a time, Cesc Fabregas spat. And we were treated... Two weeks of being told that spitting is worse than getting your leg broken. Former professional players saying, I'd rather have someone go studs up into my ankle than spit at me. And this was at a time, if you remember, when every week it felt like Arsenal were getting someone's career ended by, by an ankle-breaking challenge. And it reminds me of that oh, we can't be impolite. <clears throat> you know, we can't have our game ruined by reckless challenges that end careers. We can't have our game ruined by inept officiating, but we can't be impolite. The focus on Mikel Arteta is, in my view, off base. But I want to ask you something, Tim, because I, I think there's a misunderstanding of Mikel's comments. I'll read them out to you. I, I think Mikel has, has played a blinder here, personally, and I'll explain why. He says, we have to talk about the result because we have to talk about how the hell this goal stands. It's incredible. I feel embarrassed, but I have to be the one now to come here 
to try to defend the club and please ask for help because it's an absolute disgrace that this goal is allowed. It's an absolute disgrace. I don't care, honestly. I don't care what they say. It's the outcome. It's too late. Whatever they say, it's too late. I don't want to be in the hands of these people. We lost three points today, guys. You know what that means. It's too hard, this league. It's too hard. It's too much at stake. It's embarrassing. Now, okay, you can say, oh, he's just whining. But I think there's something missing in the claim that he's whining, which is what Mikel had to say about his own players, that he was proud of them, that he felt bad for them. I think this is a statement a manager makes to defend his players. I think if you're a player who walked off that pitch, having been up to the physical battle, having really won the contest, in my view, I'm not saying we created that much. Again, not papering over the cracks of the performance, but I think it was a good performance, a proud performance. We stood up to the physical battle. We stood up to the crowd. We played our football. I think he's got to say something strong so the players can keep that feeling of agree- feeling aggrieved and, and feel good about the performance. If he goes out and says, well, you know, it's unfortunate, but we, you know, we needed to do more. If I'm a player, I feel let down by my manager. And I note that in the statement the club puts out, the beginning of the statement after the, the headline, Arsenal Football Club wholeheartedly sports Mikel Arteta's post-match comments after yet more unacceptable refereeing and bar errors on Saturday. The very next line, we'd also like to acknowledge the huge effort and performance from our players. I think these reactions, Tim, are what you do to circle the wagons around players who really fought and bled and played and trusted their principles. And, and I'm not saying it's the best performance in history, but I, I think that's who that audience is for. And I think the pundits have missed it. And I, I think the, the focus on it is wrong because Mikel has to back his players. And I think he did. And I'm glad he did. Yeah, definitely. And actually, not all of the pundits entirely missed it because in some of his um, uh, tweets, Gary Neville was talking about how I used to play for Alex Ferguson and Alex Ferguson used to do this and I get it. Um, but now I'm employed as a wind-up merchant on a fan watch-along channel that everyone has to pay for. <laughs> To watch their teams now like if I want to if like I don't want to watch Arsenal games through like fucking Mark well actually no Mark Goldbridge <laughs> he's been brilliant on this topic he's been brilliant on <laughs> I don't want to watch it through like Man United fan channel Liverpool mm. fan like Red Men TV watch along I don't like fair play if people want to do that I don't want to do that and I think if you're charging subscriptions and you're basically a monopoly you're certainly a monopoly on this game you have a responsibility to not do that. I don't care what Luke Edwards writes in the Telegraph. I've never cared um, because I have a couple of brain cells in my head. I couldn't care less what he says. I couldn't care less about like talk sport and all of that. I can ignore all of that. I can't ignore. So I literally am not allowed to ignore Sky Sports because that's how I have to watch the game unless I'm there, which to be fair, I could have been there. But, you know, there's several million of us and there was a 3,000 away allocation. But So let's get that part out of the way. But I think you're right that for the players, you know, he, I'm sure Arteta would have gone into this game. We talked about it in the build-up about how referees probably going to be slightly permissive. It's going to be an intense atmosphere. It's going to be a fight and all of that. And he would have told his players that as well. And they responded definitely to that part. Whether they created enough, I, you know, probably not. But then neither did Newcastle. And and this is another part of the reaction that's so frustrating. This utterly ridiculous idea that you have to create 5.0 XG before you're allowed to, like, away at one of the hardest fixtures in the Premier League and give Newcastle their due, I guess. 
Um, you know, we can all argue about how they got the money to do it, but they're one of the best teams in the Premier League. They finished third last season and it's away from home and it's mega difficult and they haven't conceded at home since September, I think. So it's a really hard game. So this ridiculous idea that you're not allowed to complain about decisions unless you deserve to win 5-0 is just utterly absurd. And it just, again, it's idiots trying to present themselves as clever, craning their neck, stroking their chins, trying to you know, trying to tell me that they're shit's ice cream, you know, and it's not. It's okay to just say, do you know what? That Arsenal got diddled there. They might not have deserved to win. They got diddled. Doesn't mean there's a conspiracy against Arsenal. You don't even have to think it means there's an issue with refereeing standards in this country if you don't want to. But don't fuck, don't piss on my back and tell me it's raining. Don't tell me that those aren't terrible decisions. In the pre-VAR era... I would have I would have accepted both of them because as we discussed in the instant reaction, the ball's in a different postcode when Bruno whacks Jorginho. That's exactly why it's a red card. But that's the whole reason the ref doesn't see it. Pre-VAR, I completely accept grudgingly and with some annoyance, but I accept he can't see that. I accept in real time. Been impossible to really like litigate all of the incidents in that goal, but when you introduce VAR and then you just choose to ignore stuff because you want to protect the, your mate from some booing from <laughs> from some Geordies, like that isn't good enough, and it's not good enough for the pundit class and for journalists and you know other people who should know better to start craning their necks and going actually um yeah he he used his forearm didn't he yeah yeah i accept that actually i think gabriel should be struck like bollocks like no one's buying it nobody is Mm -hmm. buying it and it makes you look like a excuse my language makes you look like a fucking idiot right it doesn't make you look clever to pretend that this didn't happen the fallout fine criticize arsenal for the statement i kind of I understand that. Criticise Arteta for his reaction. Understand that, you know, we can talk about and we will talk about like whether Arsenal created enough X, Y, Z, but don't pretend that things didn't happen because it's not convenient for you to do so. That And that it's not just annoying, unbelievably predictable. I knew that would happen. I was so happy that yesterday I spent all of my day at another game (laughs) because I didn't have to engage with it. Because as Clive said, going for a walk and all of that, usually, you know me, I listen to every podcast going. How many do you reckon I've listened to today? None. I've listened to the Ask Cast. And of course, well, some of, of course, that's... You have to. Professional in, responsibility. In, in accordance with my biases and all that. And I get that. I get that I'm coming from this, but I, I deleted all of them. It's just like, match of the day. Like, I don't want any of it. I don't want Gary Neville. I don't want Jamie Carragher. I, I, I can black out the rest of it. I can't black out Sky Sports. I can't. Otherwise, I can't. I literally can't watch the game. So again... Don't piss on my back with my money that I'm paying you and tell me it's raining. I think what bothers me is when people have a conclusion they want to reach and reverse engineer from there. And a lot of it feels like, all right, we're going to decide that the referees are not at fault and that Arteta's a whiner and that Arsenal are moaning for no reason. And then we're going to say the things that get us to that conclusion. That conclusion is predetermined. You know who deserves a lot of credit? The Newcastle fans. The Newcastle fans deserve all the credit on this day. Because I'll tell you something. I have never, ever seen a game, and granted, I'm not there, but watching on TV, I've never seen a set of fans that get more invested in refereeing decisions. Never. And I am convinced 
that both the Bruno red card and the goal decisions go the way they do because VAR is scared to put Stuart Atwell in the middle of that cauldron with the way those Newcastle fans are going to react. If that's a quiet stadium, if they're not invested in it, I don't think either of those calls go the way they did. And then the analysis, I, I have to say, this idea that it's plucky British Newcastle, they the way they get somehow evaluated, like the pride of Britain, I mean, <laughs> I, it's not my place to say, but that seems like a very strange situation and it does feel like how they're talked about plucky Newcastle coming up and and hardworking and like that that's not the story I, I know you want it to be but it isn't Clive let's let's tie this off what's your final thoughts on this yeah um yeah I find it <laughs> I'm trying to get over this it's very very difficult I this this Please really upset me. <laughs> this really it really did up it really bothered me really and more how we're perceived really but Arsenal's perception is very important to me when I hear things about people doing mental gymnastics, trying to explain why the goal should be given, we can't overturn the referee's decision to give the goal. But what you don't realise is the referees are giving goals now, knowing they're going to be checked. So we've got ourselves in this loop where people are making things, giving things, knowing it's going to be checked. And then, then it becomes a situation where, was there enough to overturn the referee's decision? Well, again, when you go to... When you go to watch rugby the way they do it, sometimes they don't make a decision. Can you tell me if it's a clear grounding? Can you tell me there's this? Because then I will award to try. Sometimes they say, I think it's a try, but can you check this, this, this? It's much clearer, the process. But what you have, the thing about the referee at the weekend, he looked scared to me. He looked scared. He'd lost authority. And trust me, players smell it. And that's why they were surrounding. They knew he'd lost it. He'd lost control of the game. He'd lost authority. And that's why they were doing what they were doing. You only do what you do in the environment that's created for you on the day. And the worrying thing is, I think the people in the band could see this and they then supported that guy on the pitch. And that's a worry. The two organizations need to be separate. It needs to be clinical. If you are setting expectations that we're going to see more better decisions and better outcomes then you need to think very hard about your process. You cannot have the same group of people having extended careers in a VAR room because then it becomes more money for the same group. And it doesn't feel right to me. It needs to be cleaned out. The whole process needs to be looked at. Technology is not going away. It's it's, going to increase in all our lives. It's not going away. We're not going back. But let's look at the processes, the human processes surrounding the technology and the laws being reworded to support the new game that we are now watching. We need to undertake this quickly. Let's not pretend we have the right talent, we have the right diversification of talent in the referee's room to manage a global game which is not just born out of Liverpool and Manchester. Yeah, and and I think that's it. I. I don't want to watch games refereed by incompetent officials that are then having their incompetent decisions rubber stamped by people who are more focused on protecting the referee than getting the decision right, who are then protected by their mates in the media who are invested in getting their back, all while having to decide if I should ignore or not the trips they're taking midweek and whether 
they're making these calls in favor of or not in favor of a specific organization. Again, I'm not saying I want to be conspiratorial in my thinking. I don't want to have to have that thought. And before you say conspiracy theories are nonsense, because I tend to agree with you, I've seen Arsenal defrauded from a potential Champions League victory over Barcelona in the new camp, where everyone told me it's not, it's not bent, it's not a conspiracy, only to find out years later that actually Barcelona paid the referees. <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? The NBA had a referee who was gambling on the games, it turns out, and, you know, <laughs> moving game results and stuff. Like, this shit happens. And the game needs to be really, really fucking careful. Because once you get down that road, the integrity of your competition is at stake. And by the way, when Liverpool put their club statement out, they did reference the integrity of the game. Now that annoyed me because my argument is your Liverpool football club, do something about it. And I would say the same thing to Arsenal. I would say the same thing to all the clubs that deserve better and the traveling fans and the home fans who all deserve better. And we deserve better analysis around it. I think we can get to the actual football. Um, I think it's just about time for that. I do think we're going to have to leave this in our rearview mirror. We are going to have to leave this behind. And I think Mikel Arteta's comments are good because they draw a line under it. He expressed his outrage. He backed his players because now when he goes on the training pitch, you can't train to, to have the referees give you better decisions. You just have to train to play your football. So we draw a line under it. We go again. We have four winnable games coming up in the league. Burnley is next weekend at home. That should be a big victory from a very angry team out for revenge. And I think we will see a response. But we got to talk about this performance. And Tim, I think, led us into this performance in a brilliant way by saying the narrative that we should have been five goals clear before we're allowed to complain or have created five XG is nonsense. When you go to one of the best teams in the league away, this was an away performance to be proud of. This was away football, a team that doesn't allow goals at home, but is the top goal scoring team in the league who produced nothing, who couldn't physically barge us off the ball, couldn't bully us off out of the match, couldn't create a thing, and wound up going an hour of the match with no shots, wound up sitting, camped in their defensive third for, for ages in the game. I, I, look, I get it. You have to create the goals to win. But this is Newcastle away. That's great away football we played. A nil-nil isn't something to you know say, we're going to win the league over, but nil-nil football sometimes away at one of the best teams in the league when you may be shaded or maybe don't, you should get credit for that. And that credit was taken from us. And that's what we're going to discuss. So here's what we'll do. I'll tell you quickly about uh, some brands because I know you want to hear about that. That will be a nice palate cleanser so that we can shift to the football and go through some of the performance. And I think there are some big, big performances to discuss. But one of the performances we should discuss is the Performance Package 5.0 from Manscaped. That's right, featuring the Lawnmower 5.0. The next generation trimmer is here with interchangeable blade heads for whatever shave your mind can imagine. Upgrade your grooming game to the Ultrasphere this year by going to manscaped.com for 20% off free shipping with code ARSENALVISION. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with code ARSENALVISION. The Lawnmower 5.0 gives you everything you always loved about it, dual LED lights, um, long battery life, wet, dry shaving, induction charging. But now you also have the interchangeable trimmer heads for next-gen skin-safe blade heads, uh, a standard one for taking a little off the top, a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires so you can really get in there. Inside the package, you also get the weed whacker, ears, and nose hair trimmer. If you are a person of my age, that becomes an area that you have to take care of. There's deodorant, there's a toner, there's two free gifts, and... 
the boxers that I love. They're great for working out and the shed travel bag to take it all with you when you travel. Do it now. Get 20% off free shipping with the code ArsenalVision at manscaped.com. That's 20% off free shipping with the code manscaped.com. I promise you've never seen a ball trimmer look like a spaceship. Get yours today from our folks at Manscaped. I had to read that part. So if you're like, what is that weirdness? That's what that weirdness is. Real quick, I want to tell you about NordVPN, look, NordVPN, it's funny, of all the products we do, I think this is the one that everybody asks about. It's privacy protection, it's threat protection, it allows you to browse in the region you want to browse in. So when I was in the UK last weekend and I wanted to watch some sporting events that I can't watch in the UK, I was able to VPN back to the US and watch my stuff here, vice versa, when I want to watch Match of the Day so I can hear idiots saying dumb things. I VPN over there and I can watch it. It's great. It's an app. So you just click, you can use it on computer. You can use it on your tablet. You can use it on your phone. We have a phenomenal exclusive from Nord. Uh, when you go to nordvpn.com slash, let me make sure I get the slash right. Nordvpn.com slash arsenal vision. You are going to get a phenomenal four additional months free plus four months for free. Never done that before. It's completely risk-free too with the 30-day money-back guarantee. So go to nordvpn.com slash arsenalvision to get a huge discount, four free months and 30 days money-back guarantee. Nordvpn.com slash arsenalvision. Finally, 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 if you're building a great team, obviously you want Kai Havertz in it. Everyone agrees with that. But you need to recruit the best talent. And the best talent is what Indeed is all about. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Look, it's very it's very simple. You can go to 400 websites, post your job everywhere, try to find, try to manage, try to log in, forgot my login, log out, email, went to junk mail, oh no, I lost the perfect candidate. Or you can go to Indeed, does it all in one place. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job according to Indeed data. How about that? Done. 80%. And here's something I love. Indeed's the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Come be $75 job credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. Go to Indeed.com slash sports and support the show by saying you heard about it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms is plenty of how you need to go ahead. Is that enough of that? Indeed. Now that, whew, all right. Now we got to be quick. Now we got to be quick. Clive, I, I said on the instant reaction that I am proud of this performance, and I have, I have not changed in my opinion of that. I know there are people that don't see it that way, but I think you, there is, there is a cliche in football: earn the right to play. You have to earn the right to play, and when you go to these tough away grounds. I've seen Arsenal go and lose at Chelsea 6-0 and at Liverpool 5-1 and at Old Trafford 8-2. I've seen Almunia chuck him in his net. I've seen Mustafi sliding all over the place. I've seen Arsenal teams that can't get their foot on the ball. Two seasons ago, I watched us go to Newcastle and I watched Ramsdale kick it long and have it come right back, lose the physical battle in midfield and get bullied in a game, in a game we needed to finish top four and we were never in it. What I saw in this game was a team that stuck to their philosophy, played to their principles, passed the ball, kept the ball, bodied them, rode the challenges. Declan Rice striding through midfield with players bouncing off of him. I saw Kai Havertz showing energy and a willingness and a toughness to win duels. I saw players really getting stuck in, and I saw the Rolls-Royce player of the entire league, William Saliba, block out all hope and all light they had of attacking and scoring and threatening because he wins everything. And then he doesn't just win it. He wins it to himself and passes it to a teammate. I saw a performance I'm proud of, and I want to know if on the whole, on the main, you agree that we won the contest. We can get to the lack of threat, 
But do you feel we we were true to our principles and won the contest in the way you need to away to a big team? Uh, we approached the contest correctly, in my opinion. We didn't win it because mm-hmm. we didn't win it. Right? So we approached the contest correctly. We approached this game. And I, funny enough, I didn't have a good picture of last year's game. As I said before, I just didn't see it live. So I didn't get the emotion of the feeling. I didn't get that connection. But I wonder what people think if we played better this year than last year because last year I felt we got a bit lucky, if I'm honest with you, based on mm-hmm. watching it without the emotion. The first goal was fantastic and the second goal was an own goal. So the goals dictated the story. I thought I thought Newcastle played quite well. So I was really pleased with how we approached the game. I'm really pleased with how these players approach the game. And this is why I want to talk a bit more about Elliot. I think we're trying to wish cast last year's Arsenal when key components of last year's Arsenal are not on the pitch. You know, and I think it's important to remember that. And I think we're worried about how we're attacking in particular. And our chief attacker, the guy that dictates all our attacks, didn't play in Odegaard. Our centre forward didn't play. And when he does play, we look like a different team when he's fit and ready to go. We have a right winger in Saka that looks to me like he's carrying an injury again. He's not quite there. Martinelli's top scored on sofa score. I'm not sure why, but he looks like somebody that's playing 70 minutes at the moment and doing very, very well. I think, yes, he's there, but he's not quite at his best at the moment. And Declan Rice has come into a team and he's got, he, I hope he's got a big rucksack because he's carrying it at the moment, at the, in the middle of that pitch at the moment. He's carrying it on his back and performing at a level that I did not know was there. You know? And so even though we have certain players on the pitch, they're not quite at their best. And there are certain players, including Thomas Party, who are not on the pitch. So how can we be that team? So we need to focus on this team and how people are being integrated into this team and accept the way we are playing until we get our real team. You know, and I think this is a really key thing what we're seeing right now. We're seeing some people who are not in our first 11 play until this weekend we're, we're undefeated in the league. So we are producing and staying in touch while not being at our best, either by health, by fitness. These are the reasons why we ha- we are not quite there at the moment. But when we're not quite there, we are bringing other aspects into our game, particularly our possession, which I absolutely love, and will take us to the very top of the game. The very top. Last season was exciting. That team was not going to win the biggest trophies because it wasn't structured appropriately. This team has a chance if we can find the icing on the cake again with health and fitness and maybe a buy in our top end of our pitch. This team's got a real chance because we have some things in this team structurally and centrally and spinally which are very, very good. Work to do, but it's very, the potential is huge based on our the way we're approaching the game this season and once we can add on a bit of last season offensively, the potential is massive. So do not dismiss this game, Newcastle, because it's still a forward direction moment for us, for some players to come into this group down further down the season. Yeah. Well said, Clive. Look, I've been wanting us to be this team for a long time. And this is funny. Look, think about who's saying this. I just go on endlessly about attack, attack. You got to attack. You can't edge games. You got, you got to. And by and large, I agree. If this was Burnley away, I'd say not good enough, but it's not. Tim, Tim already brought up, you know, they hadn't conceded a goal at home since September. They were the number one attack in the league. And outside of the goal incident that we believe should not have stand, they produced 0.0. Zero six expected goals. 
They did nothing. The first job you have to do when you go to the you, you go away is you have to be up for the physical battle. You have to restrict what they can do, and then bit by bit you have to start to take hold of the game. They had an hour in this game, as I've stated before, where they did not get a shot in total. So I think we did that, Tim, and I think there are a couple mm. of things, you know, that I would say. We'll come on to the attack in a moment, but let's start with what I regard as the positives, which was the way we were able to stick to our game. Um, this is where I think Declan Rice changes things for us a bit, because I've seen us play mm -hmm. Newcastle and be bullied in midfield. Do I wish Thomas Party was there? I do, obviously. And I, I think Declan Rice does things a little differently. But it's interesting, after the, there was a flare-up, I can't remember when it was, but there was a flare-up and someone sort of had a, had a go at Rice and he stepped to them and they immediately were done. <laughs> you know, I referenced this on the instant reaction, but the perception of the Invincibles as a silky, smooth, technical side, I think overlooks, elides the, the steel and the metal and the, the aggression in that team. And we have it. And I think it starts with Rice. And, and this was a game, you know, when you go up north, <laughs> right into a cauldron. You need a player like that. And I think he's changed how we can approach that game. And I think a lot of our ability to compete and impose ourselves comes down to that player. Yeah, definitely. We we got that part of the game spot on. Mm -hmm. Um the kind of and and I believe there were lessons learned from the Chelsea game where it took us too long to get into that part of the game and West Ham where we never got it. Um and there there are players and it's no coincidence there are best players on the day. Like Rice can do that hero ball. Um, let's face it, he's a very good British midfielder and generally very good British midfielders play a bit of hero ball. That's that's uh, We have a bit of a Roy of the Rovers culture. I, I do think you need like a player like that. Saliba as well, rock solid. You know, Jolinton bounces off him in the first half. Callum Wilson goes for him. What? When did Callum Wilson go off? 61st minute? See you later. You're done. Like he was there to bash people around. No one to be bashed around because Gabriel and Saliba aren't having that. Tommy Asu, we know, is rock solid. Declan Rice, rock solid. On this day, even Kai Havertz was rock solid <laughs> yep. and smashing into people. Mm -hmm. So we got that part of the game really, really spot on. How you feel about the rest of it? It comes down to how much you isolate this game or observe it as a trend. If you isolate this game, uh, you know, like Clive said, we don't have a Erdegaard, we don't have Jesus, and Newcastle are really strong defensively and attackingly, actually, and they're a really strong team. So I can live with, in this game, you know, creating like one XG or whatever in those circumstances. And we recognise that from the off and we recognise from the off this was not going to be a free-flowing loads and loads of chances. This was probably going to be a nil-nil or someone's going to grab one and it'd be one nil. That is usually how these games go. So I, I don't like, not only do I not have a problem with that part, I, I'm happy with that part. And to invoke Arsenal's version of Godwin's Law, you look at some of those 12 draws in the Invincible season, quite a lot of them away at Bolton, away at Everton, where we just, in fact, we went 4-5-1 for the last 15 minutes of those games. And we just went, okay, a draw is all, all that's on offer today. We'll take it and we'll go home. And so you do have to do that side of the game. We did that side of the game. The, the, the creativity part, the did we create enough chances and things like that, 
that I think that's more, do you observe it as a trend or do you take it in isolation of a very difficult game where you're missing two of your, like that's 30 league goals last season uh, taken off the pitch for us. So how, how much you separate those things probably informs how you feel about the creative element of this performance. Yeah. And look, Newcastle were missing players. Let's be clear about that. But I think the players you're missing dictate where your insufficiencies are going to be or inadequacies. And like, we didn't have Jesus, we didn't have Odegaard, and so chance creation and central access and, you know, giving the center backs a rough ride, like that that just wasn't there. Well, let, let's come on to that for a second, Clive. We, we come back to some of the others like Kai and, and David Raya, obviously, we need to talk about a little bit. But I'm just, can I plant my flag? Like, I, I've been really careful not to just like, lean into opinions recently. I've tried to be a lot more gentle in how I approach things and, and a little more thoughtful in my analysis. And sometimes I know I, I have the tendency to get a little wound up. But I think we have an Eddie and Kedia problem. I watched this game again. And it's coming off the back of the West Ham game. And, you know, scoring a hat trick against Sheffield United is brilliant. I've said this before. The guy can stick the ball in the back of the net. But he's played, I think, 10 of our Premier League games now. He's scored in two of them. He has no assists. He does not create for his teammates. And I think one of the ways he fails to do that is his runs in transition are not good enough. He runs up the back of center backs. He does not run across the face of defenders. He doesn't pull people out of position. Gabriel Jesus, when he plays, who's he combined with? He's on the right combining with Saka. He's on the left combining with Martinelli. I think one of Eddie Nketiah's problems is he causes those wide players to be more isolated because he doesn't make diagonal runs across the face to pull people away. He doesn't get close enough to create triangles. And I, I think going forward, we are going to have to try something different. I think we're at that point. Last season, we tried Eddie Nketiah for a while when Jesus was out, and he did pretty well, much like this season. But it started to not work, and eventually he lost the job to Trissard before Jesus came back. And I think, Clive, we might be at that inflection point. I think your striker is such an important position, especially at Arsenal, where he creates the combinations. And and when you talk about transition, for for God's sakes, just look at the Sevilla away game to see what Jesus gives us in transition. Now, I can't ask Eddie and Keddy to be Gabriel Jesus. That's not fair. I think we're at the point where that position is an issue. Am I am I being unfair? Are we still getting enough there? Because I, I, th- I think I would like to see us trying something different there for a little while. Yeah, many of us are veering into solution mode. How can we solution the midfield? Mm-hmm. How can we solution up top? When we start to do that, have a conversation, that means, one, we have options, which is great. Two, something's not working. We're not stupid. Something's not working. So we start to think about solutions. We watch games. We watch snippets of games. When we see a player that we're not quite sure of, get run past or didn't quite trap it, we start to go into solution mode. And that's our right as fans. That's what we do. Right? We'd have to scream to the... We'd have to scream to the rooftops. We don't have to slag anybody and get into their mentions. We just discuss the team and how they're performing. It's been a part of me, you know, I sat on the stage at Union Chapel and I wanted us to improve off the ball. So I'm quite pleased what we're doing. But, but I'm also concerned about the overcompensation potentially the other way. And if you have an emphasis in training to improve off the ball, are you really focusing on the ball in the right way? But then I fight myself on that opinion. I fight myself on it and I say, well, we haven't got certain people available and they're not in the right health. So, okay, hold it for a second. Hold that thought. We're trying to get better. And then you flip into the individuals. Then you say, like, Eddie and Ketter, what is your role? So I had a discussion the other week with you guys, and I said, I need to be easier on him because he's not our number one centre forward. So I need to look at him 
in conjunction with other backup strikers in the league and then judge him accordingly. When you come away from a top six game away from home, and, and I thought Eddie started the game well, and I said it, and I haven't rewatched it yet. I haven't been able to stomach to rewatch it again to know if that stands up. But I thought he started the game off with the same intensity as everybody else, and he would put himself. He about battled it. well early. Yeah, for he sure. Was, he was yeah. on it. He was on it. When we lose a game, we then we then judge him as a striker. We judge him on his ability to knit our two wingers. And I'm looking at our two wingers getting battered on the touchlines, and I'm starting to ask myself a question. Is this the best use of these guys? And I, I have to answer off that question. Is this the best configuration up front when Jesus isn't playing? By trying to replicate what Jesus does, I don't think Eddie can do it. I just particularly away from home, I just don't think he can. So we are then leaving our wingers to be absolutely booted up in the air to watch Dan Byrne just career into the back of Saka at full speed. And it just happened time and again. So I'm picking on Dan Byrne this week, but I could pick on anyone any other week. And it's like it's okay. The accepted thing is you've got to get into him quickly and kick him, basically. And that's okay. That is the way to stop Arsenal. We have to listen to analysts on TV saying Arsenal are being worked out. They've just been booted off the pitch. They've been doubled up in wide areas and they're being booted off the pitch in wide areas. And when you get booted by the touchline, you don't get yellows. Is it time to release our two superstar 22-year-olds closer together in a lane and slightly tweak how we play? Find a solution, not just in personnel, but systemically. Can we get to maybe a diamond system or something else which gives... Try and kick Saka when he's 25 yards from goal just outside the sticks. You're not kicking him there, are you? You're not kicking him there. And we have to change this because I think they've been they've been booted out of the game. They've been booted out of the game continuously and we're not getting support. If you haven't got the connections with Odegaard, etc. around them, they've been booted out of the game and they're put on the exterior and we focus on the centre forward. I do think there's a personnel discussion to have and there's a systemic discussion to have to make sure we not just protect, but we empower our very good players who are available to be massively effective and to scare the opposition. And don't just do it did last season when we lost our key centre-back, we brought another centre-back that didn't have the same attributes and tried to play the same way. Sometimes when you lose a key person, you have to say, you know what, I need to change this. I need to change where we stand, how we play, how we progress the ball and re-emphasise a new way of playing. They can do it quickly. These coaches are brilliant. They could do it quickly. We've got to change our face while our, all our faces are not available. We've got to change our face and how we play. Yeah. And look, <laughs> you look at the data and it's, it's a Jesus-sized hole. Are you getting into zone 14 enough? You know, are you going central to go out wide? No, we go out wide early. We used to go central to go wide. Why are we going out wide early? Maybe we don't have that option central to go to first to distribute out wide. You know, Eddie and Kedia throws up a lot of games of 13 passes, 9 passes, 12 passes. And, you know, look, this is where, where I feel bad because I know that it starts to feel like you're, you're putting the boot in and I'm not. And I think, Clive, you said it well. We're in solution mode. I think that's an area for solution. Look at our spine. Raya, Saliba, Rice, and Kedia. Saliba and Rice, I mean, it's as good as it gets. Right now, our eyes are on Raya and Nketiah, and they're there for a reason. 
And and that brings me to the question of, of Raya, Tim, which is like, he had nothing to do in this game. And he caught some crosses and he did okay on things. But this is, is this three times now? He's been so far outside his near post this season. And let crosses go over his head. There's obviously the one that goes in against Chelsea. That's unlucky. Mm. There's this one. And there's Spurs. Yeah, Spurs as well. Thank you, Clive. And, I mean, it, it, it feels like it is a, it is a, a thing that he must feel is good. Like there's something about why he stands there that he feels works for him, for his size, for his leaping, but it's not working for, for where the ball winds up. And to be fair, if Raya's in the right place, the entire discussion around the goal needing to stand doesn't happen. Now let's just call it like it is. Ben White also not great on that goal. Okay. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, Clive has brought up a Ben White day where he's like, he's not going to be serious. He said that on the Instagram, you know, one of those. Where he's got around, the Ainsley Maitland-Niles yeah. Niles gene where yeah. he's, he's like, oh, that's a bit too laid back, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, casual to the point of uh, sedated. Yeah, yes. and so he had one of those games. But let, let's keep it focused. The Raya thing, like mm. he had so little to do in this game. Um, but it, it is interesting. You start to look at the data too and like, starting to launch it and he's not launching it super accurately and it's coming back to us. And it, it all starts to feel like had, I thought there was a reason we got rid of the other guy or not got rid of, you know, but took the other guy out of the firing line. And it's there, there are questions. I, I that's all I can say. There are questions. How do you feel about this performance? And obviously what he does on the goal. Yeah. His performance overall is fine. Like you say, like pretty much everything he does in this game is good distribution wise, but the goal and, you know, said this a couple of times now, like if you do something for Brentford, it probably takes a few months for that to be picked up on. You do it for Arsenal, next game, next mm. game. And we, we saw that with the Lons as, in as much as he was pretty unlucky that Lons executed utterly perfectly. But like when he tries to clip that ball to Tommy Asu, and to be fair, it's Tommy Asu who I don't think had played right back with Raya before, so I don't think he was fully engaged. But he played that ball against Bournemouth to Ben White, and it worked a dream. He tried to play it again, and the Lons left back, he knew it was coming, right? That's all it took. He did it one time in one game, and in the next game, Lons were onto it, and they got a goal out of it. Like I said, he was a little bit more unlucky there. That's how quickly it is with Arsenal because that's where the analysts really earn their money playing Arsenal because there's there aren't that many weaknesses. So you've got to pick one, like maybe two, you know what I mean? And like we did it to City, like massively marginal game, but we maybe picked up on one or two things and that was enough to win us the game. And that's that's what happens at this level. And I, and I think there is probably an adjustment for him. I don't know how much it's mental because I have to say the first three or four games he came in, I thought he looked great, to be honest. I thought, yep, this, I, I see what direction this is going in. I can see why he's in the team ahead of Ramsdale. Whether it's the pressure or whether it's just that, sorry, opponents are really on to you. You know, you again, the Chelsea, the Chelsea goal, the Mudrick goal, complete fluke, but, and very cheeky of Mudrick to kind of <laughs> claim that he meant that. But he did say anyway that the Chelsea goalkeeper coach had told him about that. And that's the thing. It's not just the analysts. It's not just the guys on the laptop sat up in the, in the kind of just behind the press box. It's the goalkeeping coaches. They tell you. I spoke to, um, as I always do, Jonas Eideval after a game a few weeks ago where Katie McCabe scores a goal. 
And he said she spoke to the goalkeeper coach about the best way to finish against that the goalkeeper that she scored the goal on. And he said, like the goalkeeper coach told her, go high into the net because she has a like a a tendency to go down and then throw her arms up. And and that's what it is. It's the goalkeeper coaches who tell you as well, not just the analysts. So I, I think there is something about maybe the difference between playing for Arsenal and for Brentford, maybe some of the pressure as well, maybe some of the focus, I don't know. Um, that's maybe a bit more speculative, but yeah, like he d- he does pretty much everything fine in this game, but he got done on the back post and opponents are going to keep doing that. So he's going to have to change whatever that stance is, whatever he like. And, and again, in the first few games, he was quite good at taking crosses, but that, that seems to have gone. And yeah, it, it, it's, he's either going to have to change or what, could happen as well is against Brentford in a couple of weeks he can't play he can't play okay so Ramsdale's going to get that game mm-hmm. and if he doesn't if he like if he looks a bit wobbly against Sevilla and Burnley again you know we talk about international breaks quite often when Arsenal goalkeepers get dropped well we've got an international break and then we've got a game he can't play and if he looks wobbly or makes mistakes against uh Severe or Burnley or both, then Arteta has an excuse there ready. Not an excuse, but he has Ramsdale in goal for a Premier League game. Ramsdale handles that. Who knows what the next game looks like? So, you know, the, these next two games, are, I, I still think Rayo will keep his place. Maybe he won't, but they're massive games for him because it's coming. That, that intersection is coming where he could get dropped. I think the best thing that happened for Raya this week is that Ramsdale looked a bit shaky against West Ham because if Ramsdale had looked imperious against West Ham, I think this would be a hotter question as it stands now. I think that may have kept the heat down on it. Uh, Clive, I, I do want to talk Kai a bit, but do you want to weigh in on the the Raya thing real quick before we move on? Uh, just quickly, I, I think he gambles on crosses. I think he gambles on poor connections, and that's why he steps forward. So when people say he's really good on taking crosses... That's because he gambles on where it's going to go. And he reads the play really, really well. And every now and again, he gets caught. And I don't I don't think in this occasion he needed to gamble because there's no one on the front post. So just drop. Right? And he looked behind him and saw Joe Linton coming in. There's only one person coming in the box. Just drop. You know, you don't have to gamble. You know, so I think it's a technical thing. Um, I, I like Tim. When he first came in, I think it was Everton, might be the first game, Tim might be wrong. But mate, smooth as silk. I thought, bloody hell, this is this is good. Do you know what I mean? I watched some of the home games and I feel okay. But I'll be honest with you, I've, I've been consistent on this. I felt it's not over. You know, I felt it's not over. I quite like what Aaron Ramsdale brings to our club and brings to our how I connect to the team and how he looks in our goal. I quite like it. Even his, even the things he doesn't do well, I quite like. Because he, he looks like Arsenal to me. We're not perfect. We're just who we are. And I like it. I really did agree with Raya coming in. I thought, you know what? That's smart. The deal, everything else. Because I want us to have the best people in our club. But I don't think what I've seen subsequently around how the position is shared was what I was sold. And now I'm thinking I was naive to believe the mm. pitch. You know what I mean? And yep. I, I personally don't like being conned, Elliot. 
Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and so, um, and so that's how I feel. I'll be honest with you. You know, I'm always honest. I'm, that's how I feel. I thought there was an opportunity to really do something in that position, to do something. The word you used to me, Elliot, was innovative. Remember that conversation we had? Yes. He could be yes. innovative here about his position. I thought, oh, this is brilliant. Do it. Move them around, rotate. Don't substitute them. That's stupid. But rotate and make sure they under, make sure that they feel engaged. And, we, and he hasn't done that. He hasn't done that. The only caveat I'll give him is that Ramsdale had his first baby, unique experience. Maybe once he's settled, he can come back into the group. But let's see what happens. But I'm I'm unsure, mate. I'm unsure. Yeah, I come away from this game feeling really buoyed. <laughs> or buoyed, your mileage may vary, um, by the way we were able to be, I think, the driving force in the game and stick to our philosophy while accepting that there are people who feel what we created is insufficient. No Jesus, no Odegaard. We still look like we haven't figured out how to replace Shaka. No Thomas Party, who, while Declan Rice is imperious, Thomas Party is a ball progressor in a different way, accesses a different area of the pitch. Zinchenko, you know, it's interesting, by the way, this is what you want from a squad. Tomiyasu has just kind of usurped Zinchenko at the moment in the pecking order. And we haven't even really noticed because he's just been very, very good. And that was supposed to be Timber doing that and it's Tommy doing it and it's been fine. So all in all, I'm like encouraged by that. I, I do think that we have an attack issue and I do think that it's going to have to get figured out. I think it is down to personnel and talent. You know, I know it's deeply unsatisfying to blame a player for the deficiencies of a team. Like I, I get it. But I also think that so much at this level is just about the talent you assemble. Like, no one wanted to believe that Saliba being out last season and Rob Holding playing cost us the title. But when you look at Saliba now, don't you feel like that's really what actually happened? And I don't think it's that far-fetched to say we may have a similar issue going on at striker right now. A critical position where we're not playing that elite talent that we have because, to be fair, he's not available. Um, so, you know, I don't think it's that far-fetched to say that. Tim... Very, very quickly on Kai Havertz. I, I think this is the best game he's had for Arsenal. Not judging from a low bar. I just think full stop, he was good. Mm -hmm. I really do. I think he was physical. I think he was dynamic. He played one twos. He carried the ball forward. He won headers. I would have liked to seen him move forward into center forward a little earlier mm -hmm. in this game and get a chance to be one line up. But I, I know, I've, I've accused us of squinting to see it with Havertz this season. You know, yeah. like, oh, he completed 85% of his three-yard passes, wall passes. Like, he's he's getting there. Look, I think he's been bad this season. Let's just say it. He's been bad. I think this wasn't a good-for-him performance. I think this was just a good performance. And, you know, it it takes – it's baby steps, but this, this is a good step, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think it's definitely connected that he was he was a bit aggy on the day and there were a couple of slide tackles and maybe question the wisdom of those and particularly the first one was stupid because it was at a time when the game was in a real lull and we'd kept the game quiet and that heated the game up and that was probably not what we wanted at that moment. But he was really, really good. I really wonder if Erdegaard had been fit that we might have just seen Havertz up front. Um I, I'm really curious about this. This really looked like a, a Havertz game um, mm, yeah. to me. I, I wasn't sure that this would be a Havertz game, but what I liked about this is he wasn't just a lamppost flicking balls. I know he can do that and he's good at that and that's fine, but that's a bit like um, back to my Battle Royale analogy, you know, where they go onto the island and it's like a Battle Royale scenario and some people get a bazooka and some people get a spoon. Like winning headers is, it's not quite a spoon, but it's a bit like, 
okay, like, thanks, but come on. What I loved about this was actually he had those feet. Did you see that um, that uh, compilation that went round in the week about some of his Leverkusen stuff? And, mm-hmm. and someone just put, where is this player? And it's him dribbling, it's him killing the ball with one touch, going round people, you know, passes into the channels and stuff like that. And you're like, yeah, where is that player? I don't think I've seen that guy. <laughs> he was he was closer to that. He had the touch. He had the nice soft feet. This was a much, much better game from him. And I'm really curious as to how we would have used him had Erdegaard been fit, because I think he might have played up front and that might have been better for us. Yeah, I, I'll take a positive development, you know, and, and this is one. So, Clive, we come out of this game with no points. It is just one point dropped. Let's be clear about that, right? I can't sit here and say we should have won that game. I mean, maybe if Bruno gets sent off, which he should have, who knows? But it's it's one point dropped. The next month, and I don't mean month as in November, I mean month from now until December 5th is huge for us. Some of the big clubs at the top of the table play each other, and we play Burnley, Brentford, Wolves, and Luton. I'm going to say it like this, plus we obviously have Sevilla at home and Lons at home. Um, I will say it like this. I think we will win all of those games, and I think we will be right at the top of the table or thereabouts at the end of that run. But Clive, if we don't look like we've like we've got it figured out from an attacking standpoint by the end of that run of six fixtures, then I'm going to be in a slightly more pessimistic mode around where we go the rest of the season. Do you think now we are in six games, win them all, show some quality. How important is that run of of six games for you now to get right back into the thick of things looking like our best selves? Well, firstly, I, I take two games because we have Seville on Wednesday and then Burnley at the weekend. Both at home. Let's sort them two out. We could be sitting top of the Champions League group and basically qualified. That would be a mm-hmm. big boost to everybody. And, and then Burnley at home, we should do the business there. And then we have, we have the international break. So we get a chance to reset. We get a chance to get some bodies healthy if we're smart. And then we come back with a much healthier Arsenal. And I think that's really key for the Christmas running. So I look at it in that way, rather than pre-international break and post-international break. We do have an opportunity. I totally agree with you. It's one point lost. You know, although it's, I don't want to say we could have won it, but we could have won it. <laughs> one point lost. And we could have lost it. Much like Man City at home. Nil-nil. We won it. Could have lost it potentially. Man United, we won it, could have lost it. This time didn't go our way and we got something to to be egregious and feel egregious about. But I do think that the real Arsenal is around the corner. But while we're watching this team and maybe some players within this group, we're finding out who wants to stand up and not just be a bystander. And the best thing about Kai Havertz's performance at the weekend was I thought he stood up and, and to be one of the players. You know, that really want to be one of the the lead actors and not a support actor. You know, I, I don't, outcome for me is, is immaterial. How you approach a game is very important. When I saw the Fabio Vieira come on against Fulham and absolutely dominate that game in the second half, I could not believe my eyes. When I saw Fabio Vieira pass off a shooting opportunity towards the end of this game, I was fuming. Because he has the talent and I need you to step up and do it. I'm sorry, I don't want to sound. 
I want you to step up and do it. It, I was, it wasn't take, a good cameo, let's put it that way. <laughs> I want you to step up and do it. Because I, I, I believe in your ability. I believe in your talent. I, I'm, I'm an Arsenal supporter. I want you to want to take that chance, not drop it off to somebody else who hasn't got your shooting ability. And so that's why I liked what Kai Havertz did, because he took responsibility. That is step one. He started to carry the ball. That is step two. So we're starting to see something now. I was so disappointed in Havertz after Bournemouth. I thought we, we went to Lonsdale after, and he just disappeared. I thought, no, this is not a time to disappear. But now I think I see what a good game looks like. And he has to build on this. I think it's very important, not just him, but Eddie as well, and Nelson as well, and Kivio when he comes in. Very important stretch of mo- stretch of games for them because they, as they as we approach Christmas, where everything changes again, and so I think it's a, such an important two games first, Elliot, two at home, and then we can reset mm-hmm. and then we go again. And I think the way you've mapped out the next few games, I hope you're right. But if we if we are right, you see this part of the season will will prove to be beneficial in the second part of the season. Yeah, I mean. Because also during that run, I've laid out City play Spurs and Liverpool play City and, you know, United and Chelsea have games against those teams. And so I think there are, you know, Newcastle plays some of those as well. There are there are points that will be dropped by the teams that we need to drop points. And we're going to need to take maximum points. But I think as much as taking maximum points is important, I, I would like to see us get back to looking a little more like the attacking team we can be. And you know, I'll just, I'll end by saying this. I'm not asking anyone to be in love with a game where we score zero goals. I'm not asking anyone to be in love with a game where we don't create the chances to score goals. But I, as someone who has always been most annoyed when our attack doesn't show up the way I'd like it to, I think looking at the team we brought to Newcastle and looking at some of the performances we've had up there, I think this is as good as we've, as we've fared. I think we, we played better football than the win away last season. I think if you compare this to two seasons ago, you can see why I'm buoyed by this. Because I look at that game, and that was a game where we just wilted under the physical challenge they presented and the cauldron environment. And to play our football and watch Declan Rice control the midfield and William Saliba close out the light at the back and watch us pass the ball and keep the ball and move it into the right territories, we were just missing the individual brilliance. I've never seen Saka look so poor, unfortunately. It was not a game for him. Gives me no joy to say that. I don't think Martinelli is particularly good either. They look isolated. Is it a center forward issue? Is it an Odegaard issue? Th- those questions need to be answered, of course. But in the main, I saw our football look grown up and prepared to handle the challenge of a big away match. We used to go up north to these away games and just look meek, not even be in the contest. And those days are over. And that gives me a lot of pleasure. I know there's more that we have to stitch on to the end of that. We'll do a three big questions episode on Patreon this week. If you want to hear more of the emotive reaction to this game, by the way, we have that over there as well. We're just happy to have you wherever you are, obviously. Um, We'd love to have you there. We'll do, I think we might try to squeeze in a rewatch. We'll we'll plan the schedule out. We'll see, because we do play midweek, of course, this week, so we'll have an instant reaction to that as well. Big week uh, ahead, big month ahead, and hopefully um, we won't be talking about the attack as an issue after that. We'll just be talking about how good we are, because I think think we're on the precipice. Let's uh, stay connected. Stay solidarity against all the pricks and see you next Tuesdays out there. Try to wind us up. And until next time, Tim's on Twitter at Stillman Air. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Live's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter. You ain't gonna. We love you. We'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. See you now.